Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Elixir Mix. Uh, this week on our panel, we have Mark Erickson. Hey, friends. Josh Adams. Technically here. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and we have a special guest this week, and that's Mika Calathiel. Mika, hi, you want to say hi? Hi, everyone. Um, now, uh, I didn't have a chance to go look at who you are. Do you want to just introduce yourself real quick and let people know what you're up to and why you're famous and all that stuff? Sure. So I am a, I, I'm a distributed dev for TSM, uh, which is the eSports gaming company. Um, I basically run all their backend servers there, and I also own and run an agency in my spare time where we spend most of our time dealing with Elixir projects. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Boy, you don't get bored, do you? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we had you on to talk about the dangers of gen servers in Elixir. And uh, when we set this up, I'm trying to remember if this was a talk or a blog post. Um, but do you want to kind of give us some background on that and, and where this came from? And then we can dive in and talk about why gen servers are dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. I first started this blog post uh, just out of a necessity reason. I, I kept seeing a lot of the same mistakes uh, moving from platform to, to project to project. I would move to, uh, between them and I would see a lot of the same reoccurrences, a lot of like slowdowns and bottlenecks due to basically the same reasons. So I basically decided to create a blog post that would kind of explain why those bottlenecks were happening and some solutions around getting around those bottlenecks in the first place. So I just want to say I love the topic of talking about gen servers and their um, misuse because I see that a lot as well. You know, it's like someone comes in from like, typically people are coming to Elixir from an object oriented language, right? And they think, oh, gen servers, that's like an object. I'll just create one. And, you know, and, and that may be appropriate. That may be fine. But oftentimes they're doing them like as a named gen server. So there's like one for the whole node. And then, yeah, they're sending all these messages to it and just, and that, that's the source of all these problems. So I'm, I'm glad that we're having you on to talk about this because it is something that it's almost like a public service announcement. Just like, Hey, if you're new to Elixir, let's, let's sit down, let's have a little talk, you know, slow down. Don't, don't go throwing gen servers everywhere. You need to understand where they're appropriate and where they're not. So, so yeah, I would, I would love to hear about, um, is this, a, did this come from a personal pain point where you experienced it or just like you were, you'd kind of, I don't know, how did you understand the right way to use them? And like, was it from a book or just experience or where, where did you, where did you come along? 
I myself am actually totally guilty of doing this when I first came to Elixir as well. So the first thing I did was uh, wrap a mailer in a gen server. Uh, the reason being in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, this is kind of like this isolated container thing. Why don't I just put my mailer in here? And if something explodes, well, it won't crash the rest of my app, right? That's great. But after using it, I kind of saw that like, wow, there's, there's a pretty big slowdown going here. If I, if I wait for the mail process to actually send, all of a sudden, like everything is slowing down if there's punches of messages. And so that was kind of the, the main key for me trying to understand like what was actually happening and what were the differences. And that is basically the biggest pieces I see is OTP is probably the, one of the most important pieces and gen server is a big part of that. Um, do you want to just explain briefly what gen servers are and how they're generally used and why that kind of leads us down this path? Yeah, so gen servers are a really good abstraction around state. So if you need to maintain some sort of state with behavior in Elixir, so say you're, you're creating a, a state caching service that you'd like to increment every time it gets hit, that would be a perfect case for gen server because you're able to store the hits in a state and then access the server and say, hey, I want to give you an update. And then the server can then process that, update the state, and it's all kept isolated in kind of like a box. Gotcha. So how do you misuse something like that then? So a, a way that you can misuse that is by pretty much overloading the box. So when you have a gen server, the box essentially only has a single way to get in, and or out, in or out of that box. And if you try and have, say, Elixir is known for its concurrency. So if you have 10 processes and they're all trying to access that box through that single gate, you're, you're kind of not left being able to access that box very well. I think an important mental model for people to have when they think about processes in general, but gen server specifically, is you think about it as a person who is a worker in your, in your office building or in your, your company, right? And if you go to this worker and you say, hey, I'd like you to send this email for this person, you know, that send them the welcome email, they just signed up and they say, okay. And that, that you, you got to remember, this is one single person and you put a message into their inbox and you say, hey, send the message to this person. Here's what I want you to say. So that person, you know, they're they are all by themselves, a single person. And so, okay, I have to get out a mail, email, or like I'm going like, to write a long form letter and I'm going to format it nice. And I'm going to put it in an envelope and may it stamp it. And I'm going to walk to the post office box, which is like the equivalent of going, you know, network traffic to an SMTP server. And I'm going to sit there and wait for it to be sent. And that's like, that's, that's the way you have to think about a gen server as opposed to, oh, I have a mail department in my building and I want to say, okay, give this to the person who is the, uh, like the front of the, the, the facade for this mail office. And they say, okay, we'll, ha we'll have someone take that for you and we'll take that request and pass it on to someone else who's actually going to do the work. And okay, I'm ready to take your next request. You know, like if you think about gen servers as a person, then you're much less likely to start overloading them because you realize, oh, I can put this person in charge of a department of other people and they can have multiple processes running and doing these things. I can have, um, but I, I still have supervision. I still have uh, OTP. All the principles are all still there. But I think, I think I, all I want to stress is the main thing is you, people have the wrong mental model for processes and it's gen server specifically. And if you have the right mental model, then, then it makes sense. And it's, and you're not going to have these problems.
I don't know, Mika, what, what do you think about that? Does that make sense? That totally makes sense. I think I've never actually thought about it from a person perspective of model, but I totally agree. It is very much like that because you can just like you'd have a manager, have that one person who delegates their tasks to a worker force. And that is how you achieve true concurrency in Elixir. So I totally agree with that point of view. So one question that I have then is um, if, if your gen server is a person, then when you overload it, does it just keep grinding through everything that you've thrown at it or does it have a nervous breakdown? <laughs> Eventually it will have a nervous breakdown. Uh, you can overload the size of the mailbox. So essentially when you're asking a server to do, or, or a person in this case, to do uh, multiple things, they essentially build a backlog of, that, of their tasks. And so eventually that person will just get overwhelmed and be like, okay, I have too many people in my backlog. Uh, typically that's not very likely in Elixir or Erlang because you have quite a pretty hefty mailbox size, but it is possible. That makes sense. And, and I, I have to say, you know, having run a business, having been a team lead, having been in a lot of these positions, um, sometimes it's better for, it to have, for a person to have a nervous breakdown sooner so that you can get them help. <laughs> Otherwise, you're just sitting around waiting for stuff to get done. Yeah, well, that's, that's fun because um, kind of continuing that uh, analogy, if, you're, if you say, I want to, I'm sending this request to this gen server or person, and you say, here, will you please do this for me? And you're sitting there waiting for them to process it and finish. You might, you'll, like the, by default, the, the time limit is five seconds. And then the request says, they didn't have it in time, and I give up. So that doesn't block indefinitely. Uh, but, you know, it's like, that, that's where you start to feel the pain, perhaps, is like you have these processes that are like, hey, I made this request and it wasn't done in five minutes or five seconds. And so that's, I mean, you can get to that point where, you know, I don't know, I, I kind of view it like when, you, when you're talking about this person having nervous breakdowns, like kind of like a rage quit. You know, you just have like this, this gen server say, too many messages and I quit and just like self-terminate. You know, you could do that. <laughs> That'd be fun, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting though because yeah, eventually you know if you're depending on something to uh, happening or you at least need some acknowledgement that it will happen, then yeah, it become it can definitely become an issue because oh well, I needed the graphics done so I could get the you know the messaging out so I could you know share it on social media so that people could click through on you know and so it backs up the whole chain of things, and so yeah, it it doesn't just affect the one process that's overloaded; it affects everything else that's waiting for it to come back and say. You're good. And I think sometimes that can even happen without us actually realizing it. Uh, sometimes we can use like a cast instead of a call, for example, or it could be reversing it. I seem to do this all the time. Uh, but if you're, if you're using, say, a cast and you think that it's, it's just asynchronous, and so you could say spawning like 100 of those or a million of those, and then you have this, this, this synchronous uh, call somewhere else, that synchronous call could be waiting for all those casts to complete, even though the code that relies on you calling those casts already completed. So you could, you could almost be tricked into thinking that things are working fine, even though they're not. So how do we avoid it then? There's a couple of good strategies to avoid something like this. One, you could use registries. Registries are a way of basically giving a process ID 
a, a recognizable key so that you can look up where that process is and communicate with that process using that recognizable key you have. So that's a way that you can kind of spread out your work over many processes while still keeping track of them. Another way is also ETS. ETS is very good at being read from multiple processes concurrently. So that way you can actually get your read performance out of a cache without basically being bottlenecked by that single process. This episode is brought to you by TripleByte. Applying to programming jobs sucks. You have to put the right keywords in your resume, you spend hours and hours on the phone screens and take home projects, and that's assuming the company even responds to your application. Well, if you're a software engineer, TripleByte can help. They work with over 400 top tech companies from big names like Dropbox and Adobe to exciting startups. You do one brief online interview with them, and if you do well, you go straight to final interviews with the company on their platform. It's like the common app for software developers. TripleByte does not look at your resume or where you went to school. All they care about is if you can code. I've helped dozens of software developers with various credentials get jobs, and this looks like a terrific way for you to get in and get interviewed and get a job without a lot of the hassle and overhead. You can go check them out at triplebyte.com slash elixir. That's triplebyte.com, byte as in eight bits. As a special offer for listeners of this show, if you take a job through TripleByte, they'll offer you a $1,000 signing bonus. I thought it was in your blog article, you mentioned this, I, this story about um, uh, interviewing someplace and they ask you, well, how would you build a cache? And, and you chose not to use a gen server and, and can you talk about that story a little bit? Because I thought it was interesting that that was actually part of an interview kind of question for Elixir. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I, I actually get asked that question probably almost every time I interview. It's, uh, build me a cache in Elixir. How would you build a cache in Elixir? And I think the number one answer that the interviewers seem to get is it's been built in a gen server. And so you're building it in a gen server, which it, it, is, it is fine for the most part. But when you do start getting up to, to really big scales um, in the millions of traffic points per second, you're, it's just flowing through lots of throughput. Uh, you, you really do start to see that as being a bottleneck. And so that's something you can avoid just by using ETS and just offloading that entire responsibility to a library that's sole purpose is basically caching. Yeah, it actually seems crazy to me to use a gin server for a general purpose cache. Um, I use them for like stateful caches somewhat regularly, but uh, for like a particular user. But that seems crazy to me. Yeah, I think in a lot of cases in Elixir, there's also better use cases, even if you are using something for simple state. Uh, I think a lot of people use gen servers prematurely as well, when and oftentimes you can be using a task or an agent. So that's a, a, great, a great segue into um, talking about a task. Because I think when most people think, oh, I want to do something concurrently, I'm going to reach for gen servers uh, because OTP is cool. You know, that, that's kind of, and they, they go for a gen server when really what they probably want is a task. So could you just kind of give us a little introduction to what a task is? Uh, so with tasks, there's kind of a, there's a lot of utility around them. And so I think it can get confusing between tasks as a utility in sort of a, a process and task as a helper module, module. Because task as a helper module has a lot of functions that help running um, other functions in a in a concurrent way. So for example, task.asyncstream, that's a really good way to be able to run a function with a lot of concurrency, 
But really quickly, uh, it was actually so surprising to me when I came to Elixir that task.async stream was just so readily available that I was like, wait, is this really all I have to do to be able to be concurrent? Is this it? I, I must be missing something. It just has to be. Uh, the other way you can also use tasks is by implementing them kind of like you would with a gen server. So similar to how you have used gen server at the start of a module when you're using a gen server, you can say the same thing with tasks. You can say use task. And by using that task, then you're able to define a function that runs when that task gets started. And so you can either do something like an infinite loop so that you keep your task running. You can pretty much do whatever you want because that task is now an isolated process for that one function. And so then you can start up that task as many times as you want or however you want within the OTP platform. Yeah, great. Thank you for that, um, that little intro. Because I think, I, I guess I hadn't realized that there wasn't a good documentation around it. It's like one of those things, like once you've learned it, you're like, oh yeah, this is how I use this. And then you forget uh, that maybe this needs to be documented and explained. Yeah, something that we covered, uh, I think in the last, in the last podcast was um, when Jose early on said, uh, you know, agents are for state and tasks are for compute and gen servers are for when you have to do both. And that was the most succinct explanation for me and it makes a lot of sense right but you know very early on i remember being a little confused about why would i choose one over the other and it's it's really clear like they're explicitly only useful for those things yes thank you and and i think tasks are specifically people think i want to perform work concurrently you know i want to spawn off a thread is kind of like the way they think about it and that a task is perfect for that because it is doing work but has no state it just has whatever information you pass to it when, when it starts its work. And then from there on, it just com- completes its work and it might return the results. Like here's what I computed or I performed a task and I'm telling you the result that it was done. That's, that's all you really need for a task. Yeah, I also wanted to mention, um, if you're using tasks, use a task supervisor um, generally. Like you might have a reason not to, but in general, task supervisor is super easy to reach for and then you don't have the problem of, oh, you were off doing work and then the process that asked you to do it still wanted you to do it went away and you were linked and bye. Yeah, task supervisor is great. Um, it's also helpful because you, you can say, I want to start this task and if it exits abnormally, restart it automatically and the supervisor will handle that. And if it exits normally, then it's just done. So Mika, how did you come to learn about tasks? Were you reading documentation? How did, was it? conference talks like how did you learn about it when it's not documented that well i learned about it through the elixir chat actually in slack Um, i found that a lot of times when i was first learning the easiest way to figure out if i was doing something right or wrong was just to post it in the slack and someone would comment like hey this is totally wrong you're doing it wrong and i'm like great tell me how to how i can how do i do this better and so that's that's a lot of my knowledge has come from that uh there's a lot of undocumented knowledge i find that often comes from uh, the Elixir Slack chat. It is a good resource. Um, the only problem with that is, is it's not, um, it's not a paid Slack channel. So the messages roll off after a period of time. And the more people that join it, the better the community, but the faster they roll off. <laughs> but uh, I, I do love it. And like, like a group of us in Utah have like a, we're on that Elixir Slack channel and we have within there a channel for Utah. And Hey, if you're in Utah, I invite you to come join that. Slack channel. So, but yeah, I think that's a great way to do it. Just asking people questions saying, Hey, I'm trying to do this. Is this wrong? Is this right? You know, cause like whenever you make a statement about how you are doing something, someone will tell you you're wrong and they'll 
probably hopefully tell you how to do it better. <laughs> I think that's always the hope, right? It's actually how I learned to get much better at Ruby was when I started uh, contributing to open source and I would open a pull request and people would say, no, 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 do it this way. I'd say, well, I've never done that before. So also contribute to open source because that stuff doesn't roll off. I mean, it's behind GitHub's paywall, but whatever. Yeah. One thing that I'm wondering is, um, so besides your processes kind of get gummed up, you know, you get your works gummed up, are, are there specific symptoms you're going to run into that are going to tell you, hey, you're, you're starting to do this kind of thing or certain patterns that you're going to see in your code? I think a lot of the patterns come down to uh, mismanagements of state, uh, especially with gen servers. Like I've seen a lot of times where gen servers can get instantiated and there's absolutely nothing touching the state. Like there's pretty much nothing. Um, that doesn't really slow down your application in any way, but it is kind of a sign of a code smell. Like if you see a gen server and it's just not doing anything with the state at all, like it's not even, it's just initializing it to an empty map or something and then never touching it again, then that's probably a sign you shouldn't be using a gen server. Mika, one of the questions I had for you is, what is your background for coming to Elixir? Were you coming from an object-oriented programming language? Uh, which one was it? And what has your transition been like? So I came from JavaScript, actually. And it was an interesting find for me because when I moved to Elixir, I, I was basically already starting to do functional programming in JavaScript. And I moved away completely from object-oriented to almost a purely functional style in JavaScript. And so when I went to Elixir, I was kind of like, wow, this is amazing. I, I, I think I just want to keep doing this. And so even though I didn't get to use uh, Elixir for probably about six months after that point, I would still write a lot of my JavaScript very Elixir heavy. So it almost, it almost felt like Elixir. I even created a library that almost mimicked Ecto in how it uh, dealt with handling data from a third-party database. So it was, it was really cool to see how much Elixir could influence the style of writing that I've had in other languages as well. And how did you learn uh, about Elixir? Was that like, how did you even hear about it first and say, wow, this is something I should even check out? So I've actually been using Elixir since like 0 0.01 uh, 0 0.1, 0 0.10. So it's, it's been quite a while. Um, I actually first heard about it when I was first becoming a developer uh, about five years back. Uh, and it was basically introduced to me as a, wow, this is a better rails because at the time it was kind of, I was learning rails. That was how they were teaching us at the um, boot camp I was going to. And one student was just like, well, why, does, why don't we just use this? Because it's almost exactly the same syntax, but the performance is like out of the box three to four times better. And, it's, and it, was, it was totally true. So it was, it was a really big experience for me moving to Rails to Elixir and seeing that performance difference. And that's kind of what I first saw. And I'm like, okay, well, this is amazing. I just need to stick with this because this is clearly, if Ruby was able to gain this much traction, but still have this many performance pitfalls, then what is Elixir going to be like in five, 10 years? I don't know if you're like me, but when I have a new idea, I probably spend an hour looking for a domain that communicates the right thing to the right people so that they know what I'm about. And that's why I've picked up as a sponsor the .tech domains, and you should definitely check them out. There's never been a domain that's helped represent the tech community so well. And getting a domain that's relevant to your brand, that helps encapsulate the ethos of what you're doing is just, it's hard. And the .coms a lot of times are taken up, and so having a .tech is really, really 
Awesome. Now I have actually picked up devchat.tech. Um, we have a lot of SEO behind devchat.tv, so I probably won't switch, but I wanted that out there so that people can pick it up and know that devchat is about tech. And, and I just, I love the idea. So using a .tech domain was an awesome solution for us. It's short, it's relevant to what we do, and it just sticks in people's head. It's a natural fit for anything technology. So if you're a programmer, if you're working on a tech startup or an open source library or things like that, it's definitely a great way to go. In fact, a lot of other companies have actually been moving over to .tech. So CES, which is a conference that I go to every year, and uh, go check out all the new technology. They switched over to ces.tech from cesweb.org. Uh, Viacom has viacom.tech to host their tech division. Intel chose insight.tech for their latest initiative. And startups on a tech domain have raised more than a billion dollars on a .tech domain. So if you want your own .tech domain, go to go.tech slash elixir and use the coupon code elixir.tech and get a one-year tech domain at $9.99 and a five-year .tech domain at $49.99. Now, if you use this coupon code to get a .tech domain, tweet at me at cmaxw and let me know what .tech domain you got so that I can shout it out on Twitter. Uh, I'd really love to see what you're doing with this and I think it's just a great product. So go check it out at go.tech slash elixir and get this deal today. And how have you seen that growth? Like it's been five years since you kind of started to become interested and follow it and, and pursue it. I can say I'm very glad that I started five years ago. Um, there's been so much growth from within the community. Like it's it, the community has more than tripled or quadrupled in size. Uh, I remember when it, we were first starting, it was under a thousand people in the Elixir Slack, or Slack for sure. And now there's like 22,000 people. So there's the, the community itself has grown. Um, the actual structures in the language, like a lot of the syntactical sugar has grown um, with keyword that was like non-existent for quite a while. That was probably the most recent one. And uh, I just remember when that came out being like, wow, this is revolutionary. This is great. Uh, so I think a lot of development has happened over this period of time and everything has just made Elixir better. Yeah. I remember when the with statement came out. That was awesome. Yeah. I was also in some of those. I started uh, in pre, I don't even know if it was 1.0 or not, but I started um, because of Dave Thomas's book and Dave Thomas, I was in the Ruby community, right? That's where my background was. And uh, Dave Thomas was very influential and uh, he was a big presence in the Ruby community. And he was now starting to talk about this thing called Elixir and he wrote a book about it. And I'm like, well, I trust his opinion on other things. Let me check this out. So that's kind of where my, I started with it. So yeah, it's been a, a similar journey and just like being there for the, the uh, additions to the language. Like now just recently, um, Broadway was announced and as a new uh, abstraction on top of Gen, Sur or Gen Stage. And that was a, a great addition because it solves problems I've had using Gen Stage, just like extra corner cases you have to be aware of. And just kind of says, hey, these are common problems and corner cases. We're just going to encompass all of that. And what I love is how uh, Jose Valim, he's kind of talked about how a lot of that kind of innovation will be happening outside of the core Elixir project, the core language in external libraries. So like as, as someone, I'm just curious, like from your perspective, um, when you have these things that are outside of the language, but they're kind of blessed, uh, you know, like gen stage, was that something that you like, oh, I, I don't even need to worry about that. That's not part of Elixir. Or did you become, you, you heard about it or any of those kinds of things? What's that been like? 
I think a lot of times I've seen these libraries and they, they've gained such traction and almost seems so natural. It was kind of like a natural fit to Elixir. It was kind of like, oh, isn't this, this seems like it could be a contender for something that's in Elixir already. So it was also often interesting to see how I would, like, I would look at those libraries and think to myself, like, how can I use this in a situation that I would come up upon? Because it's, it's very, like Elixir has created, it, it does almost like an Elixir natural library. So clearly there's a, problem that it's solving. So I'm curious to see always when I see those libraries, like what kind of problem is it solving that I could have in, or I could solve with this solution. Um, I think the most recent one for me is probably stream data because that one has been very useful uh, in running like vast amounts of tests. Uh, but that one I think was also a contender at one point to be pulled into the Elixir core. Mm -hmm. And I could see why, because it was something that was so useful and almost felt like it was natural to Elixir, just the way that it worked. So are you using property-based testing? I do sometimes, uh, not currently, but when I, when I can, I do. <laughs> I need to spend some time getting experience doing that. I, I, I do see the value and I want to do it, but I, I just haven't taken the initiative to really dig into it. It is definitely something that adds a bit of complexity. What kinds of projects are you working on in your um, consulting gig outside of your main gig? So a lot of startups come through. Um, we build, end up building a lot of the backends for startups in Elixir because it gives a very nice uh, base, basically, and it's also scalable. So when a startup comes through and is unknown whether they're going to scale or not, but also needs to be able to move quickly, Elixir is has proven to be a really useful language in that sense. It allows us to move quite quickly. And also when things do need to come to scaling, then we're able to scale that uh, pretty quickly. Some of the things that we've worked on that required pretty heavy uses of Elixir were things like, uh, I wrote a, um, a very minor game for a Twitch streamer one time, and that was basically had to use so much OTP principles for things like setting up rooms and stuff like that. It was, it was really a very good use case for Elixir. And it was fascinating to see how much it thrived. So Mika, are there any, you've been, it sounds like you've been an observer and a participant in the community for some time. Are there any places where you think uh, there are pain points that you still see, or you would like to see more focus? That's a good question. I think docs are always something that can be improved. Um, I, I've seen so much improvement to the docs though over the years. I can honestly, I, I honestly don't think that they're not trying because it's clear that there's a lot of effort going into those docs. It's they're some of the best docs in any language I've seen. But as always, I think they can always get better. First, explaining certain things like tasks, for example. Yeah, I really like the um, sort of the guy, the fact that a lot of packages in the core have kind of the docs, which are this is this module, here's how I use it. And then they have sort of separately guides, which is, hey, you're interested in this topic, like here's, a, here's six pages on it. Um, and I, I like specifically that I see that a lot in, in packages. And that's something I don't see, uh, I, I see other places. I don't see as uniformly in a lot of other places. Um, but I do still run across packages that I, I wish were documented better. And I suppose as an open source person, I probably should just help. I think a lot of the packages and the people who maintain the packages do an amazing job in Elixir. It's one of the best communities out of any language I've, I've seen actually um, coming from, especially from JavaScript, the community is very pleasant. So now one thing that JavaScript docs have, I think better than any other language is usage of emoji in the documentation. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like I run across that a bit. 
and, and that, that is a definite increase to the quality, right? I'm going to say it actually brings me joy. <laughs> Who doesn't love seeing emojis in the docs? Or in the CLI output. I get that in the terminal sometimes. I use them in my commits. <laughs> I want to put a screen reader on some of it now so it'll, it'll read my documentation. Blah, 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 poop, blah, 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 <laughs> rainbow, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, um, I, I do have to say that uh, it it's interesting. I mean, you're talking about the different communities, and um, I was at Codebeam a um, little over a week ago, and uh, they were talking about some of the, the influence that Elixir has brought. And just, uh, yeah, the, the documentation was one of the things that they brought up. And in particular, what they said was that um, that it, it has actually prompted a lot of the Erlang community to start doing better documentation. And I thought that was interesting. And the other thing is, is you, you mentioned that, uh, um, you know, the documentation in Elixir is better than JavaScript. It, it, it's, I don't know. So Elixir is kind of a newer thing and has brought in a lot of people who kind of want to um, get involved in the community. And the community is much more cohesive than the JavaScript community. And so what you find is you find sub-communities within JavaScript, and some of them do real well with the documentation, and others don't. And so it's, it's kind of an interesting place to live. Um, you know, and I say this having four shows on different aspects of JavaScript. So, um, you know, as I talk to people, yeah, their, their focus is definitely in different areas depending on where you look and, and what they're doing with it. So. Well, also just the fact that, you can com- or that the docs are compiled into the, into the modules these days. Um, yeah, that, that makes it nice. Yeah. It's, it's hard to fault a language that doesn't have a VM for not doing something like that. Like, how would you? Cool. Anything else we want to jump on before we go to picks? Let's do us some picks. Mark, you want to start us with picks? Sure do. All right. So one is uh, a, a gen server talk I gave. I, I mentioned it previously, but I think it's specifically relevant to this discussion. So I was going to mention again, I gave a presentation at our Utah Elixir meetup and I will include the uh, YouTube link. It was recorded by one of the members of our meetup. And uh, I go through the whole idea of explaining how a gen server is like a person. And when you get the mental model, it actually really helps. And so that's one. And then the second one is I I wrote a blog article um, on pattern matching to format text. So if you're familiar with Elixir, you're familiar with uh, pattern matching. And I was doing some work recently and it's like, okay, I, I have this text. It's, it's, it's text with all uh, special characters stripped out and it's a phone number. And I want to format it in a special way. You know, I want to format it for display. And I can just, it's like, I know I can do it with pattern matching. I have to, uh, I have to go look it up because I couldn't remember the exact syntax. So I just wrote it up. Half of the things on my blog are things just so I can find it again in the future. And re- I remember how I did it. And so that's just using pattern matching to, uh, as a way of formatting text, um, specifically for phone numbers, SSNs, you know, dates, anything like that. So that's it for me. Nice. Josh, what are your picks? I have a single pick, which is a thread on Twitter, which is not my most useful, uh, not my usual but um, it's from a gentleman named Taylor Pearson, and it's about uh, optimal business strategy um, in general, but you can apply it a lot of other places. And he specifically is 
focused on uh, Godret's theory of constraints, which says that any system with a goal has one limit and worrying about anything other than that is a limit, uh, other than that limit is a waste of resources. So for instance, he gives the example of, you have a factory line that has three machines involved, one does 50 parts a minute, one does 100, one does 150, then the only thing that matters is increasing the one that does 50 parts a minute because that's your throughput. Um, and I think it's interesting uh, I think as, as developers, it's easy to focus on, you know, we all love Elixir because it scales, right? That's a reason. But, um, you know, honestly, if you have 100 users a day, eh, any language would do just fine. So uh, I think it's interesting to think about what is, what is actually holding you back from your goal. For one thing, it makes you actually identify your goal and, and vocalize it. But if you identify which things go into the production function that is, that is your goal, and then identify the one thing that is the actual bottleneck, then it's really freeing to know like literally nothing but this one thing matters. Um, and it's, it's really, it's really nice. And it, it works, the, the technique works sort of fractally. So, and he goes over that in the, in the thread and I'm not going to summarize the whole thread, but it's great. All right. Um, I'm going to jump in with a few picks here myself. Um, I think I talked about code Bean last week, so um, I'm not going to do any more shout outs about that. This week I was actually at another conference. My travel schedule the, the, for the next little while is, is a little bit insane. Um, so I was in San Francisco and then I was in Orlando. I was in Orlando for a, a podcast called, or for a podcasting conference called PodFest and uh, had a great time there. Learned a ton of great stuff about podcasting. So I'm going to pick that. If you're getting into podcasting, I recommend you make it out to a podcasting event like that. Um, the big ones seem to be PodFest in February and Podcast Movement in August. And um, incidentally, both of them this year being held in Orlando. PodFest is in Orlando every year. Um, but I had a terrific time. Uh, the people were just terrific. Uh, had a great uh, experience just meeting people and talking about things. And, um, you know, I, I guess I'm going to wax a little bit philosophical here for a minute. Um, one thing that I realized while I was there or right after I was leaving was that um, I had kind of been carrying this weight around with me over the last um, probably eight or nine months uh, since my dad passed away last year. And I didn't realize it, but I wasn't quite myself and I wasn't quite, I guess, happy. And I'm not sure what it was, but just being around all the positive people there, um, I don't know if it kind of helped me get past it just because, you know, people appreciated what I had to offer or, you know, were willing to help and everybody was super friendly and it was a positive experience or whether that just kind of made me realize that, you know, I was kind of over it because I was able to go out and be a little bit more social. And just by contrast in a podcast movement last August, I went to Philadelphia, I sat in on a couple of sessions and I pretty much hid out in my room the whole time because I just didn't feel up for it. And, um, you know, and so I think, you know, these last two conferences really help with that. So, um, I guess what I'm saying is, is that, um, if you're, if you're kind of, you know, dealing with some emotional baggage of some kind and, and my emotional baggage, it, that, you know, you, you try and explain it rationally, it didn't make any sense, but it was how I felt. And it's just the way it goes, you know, um, it doesn't have to make sense. Um, for me, it was born out of grief and, you know, that, that does things to you. But, um, you know, go find a positive place where you can just go have, you know, positive, appreciated interactions with people and, and just make the best of that. 
or whatever it is for you, right? Maybe it's you go find a cabin on a lake where there are no other people. But, you know, whatever it is, go find that environment that, that's going to help you uh, have that positive out, outlook for a few days. And I found that for me, that was very, very refreshing. So I feel like myself again. Um, and and it's, it's really nice. I'm actually really fired up to get a bunch of stuff done. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, I got a little bit personal. Um, I, I actually wrote about this on my blog. So I um, started a blog again. Um, I have a habit of rebooting my uh, personal blog every so often. Um, I'm going to start blogging on devchat.tv as well, but some topics just really aren't conducive to devchat.tv. You know, I have political opinions that I want to share or um, thoughts about, you know, religion or spirituality that, you know, they just, they're not really applicable to what we cover at devchat.tv and doesn't really fit in with the mission. So I'm going to be putting that over there. So I did write up uh, a little bit there. That's at charlesmaxwood.com. And uh, if you're wondering what I'm using, I have moved away from uh, WordPress for that. And uh, I'm using Eleventy, which is a static site generator. Um, I bought a theme off of um, themeforest.net. And I'm hosting it on Netlify. So there you go. Um, Mika, what are your picks? Uh, I have two picks this time. Uh, Exorcism.io is my first one. Uh, I just found this recently, and it's a really great source for learning almost any language that I've found so far. Um, it basically gives you a learning course, and then when your work is done, it gets approved and viewed by a mentor, so you get actual feedback on your work while you're learning, which is amazing. Um, another pick for me is actually Discord's GitHub. Uh, Discord's GitHub is a really good source of information for when you're trying to go distributed or when you're trying to really push performance on things in a in a concurrent way. Discord's done a lot of work and they've had to deal with a lot and they've have a lot of their research uh, and knowledge for free and open sourced. Nice. Katrina Owen was a panelist on Ruby Rogues when she started exorcism.io. So, and it's cool. They're, they're adding new languages and new systems to it all the time. So yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a really great one. A while. I, I just started uh, using it to learn Julia. So it's a very interesting, interesting way to learn. Nice. All right, Mika, if people want to find you online, see what you're working on or thinking about, where do they go? Uh, you can get a hold of me through the Elixir chat. That's probably the best way if you want a quick response. Uh, my email is also a good one, mika at calithil.me. And I actually do not use any form of Twitter or anything. So unfortunately, you cannot find me there. Or fortunately for yourself. Yep. <laughs> yep. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> all right well let's go ahead and wrap this one up uh thank you to our panel and to you mika for coming uh we'll go ahead and wrap this up we'll be back next week thanks for allowing me to be here bandwidth for this segment is provided by cashfly the world's fastest cdn deliver your content fast with cashfly visit dot com to learn more